Marvel Comics proudly presents a sensational new hero ready to fight back against the New World Order. No longer just a man, not a thing. He's all American soil and he's reporting for duty. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a man-thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide to the weird, the wacky, the often wonderful of a 70s swamp-based monster comic. Today on the program, uh, just a short bonus episode to take a look at a recent comic released back in January. That is Weapon Plus, World War IV, number one. So, So back in 2019, which seems like a really long time ago at this point, it was announced that Marvel would be introducing a new character called Manslaughter. Uh, this character would be based off of uh, the character of Man-Thing. And I remember when I first heard about this, I think, if I recall my reaction, it was something along the lines of, Oh, come on, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, of all the ideas you with, and I wait for years to get this, and seriously, go you, oh my just go. Um, but after careful reflection, I softened my position a bit. Now, I guess my initial reaction was based on the fact that, it seemed to me at least, that this was going to be the character Man-Thing, the, the Ted Salas version of Man-Thing, and would be turning him into a super soldier. Uh, it soon became clear that this was not the case, and it would be an entirely new character, just based on Man-Thing. Uh, still, I was not entirely on board when a synopsis was released to describe the new character. The synopsis read, and I quote, Biochemist Ted Salas was developing a serum for military application, but was tragically killed in a freak accident before he could perfect it. Still, the data behind his formula remains property of the United States government and the Weapon 4 program to this day. Mutants aren't the only ones to have weaponized flora. I, I assume that weaponized flora references to Krakoa, um, unless there's other weaponized flora out there that I'm unaware of. Anyway, I digress. Uh, it continues with the bit I read in the introduction about the all-American soil, which I'm not going to read again because it makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, uh, because it's really awful. It's, it's, it's not good, and it doesn't really do, a, uh, as I'll get into later, it doesn't really do a good job of describing what this comic is. And, you know, I guess I need to clarify my position a little bit here because, well, I'm not opposed to different interpretations of, of characters. Uh, far from it, actually. I usually welcome that sort of thing. I mean, take Spider-Man or, or Batman, for, for instance. These are two characters that I love, and, and they have had multiple versions over the years, and I'm completely okay with that. So why, then, would I be upset over a different version of Man-Thing? Well, it's complicated. To use Batman as an example, Batman, as I said, has had multiple versions and variations over the years. He's been, you know, he's been goofy. He's been grimdark. He's been steampunk. He's been a pirate. He's been a vampire, for crying out loud. And many different characters have taken on the mantle from Dick Grayson, Azrael, Damian Wayne, even the Joker. But, but the thing is, Batman has been running continuously for 80 years, with multiple titles running simultaneously. Right now, as I record this, there are six Batman titles currently running, from ongoings to miniseries, and that doesn't even include the, the Bat Family and the Justice League and, and other things that Batman appears in. So there's a lot to choose from. You can get different interpretations while still having original recipe Bat flavor on your plate. 
Now, the number of Man-Thing titles currently running are... Hang on here, I need to check my notes. None. There are no Man-Thing titles being published at the moment. And when he does show up, it's it's as a guest appearance or, or a cameo. And let's face it, in popular consciousness, if, if pop culture mentions him at all, he's a double entendre. He's a punchline. And look, I have an affection for this character, obviously. I'm doing a podcast about him. And the reason for that is that I think there's so much to Man-Thing as a concept and so many stories that can be told and ideas that can be conveyed through this concept that it seems a shame to waste and squander those possibilities. So, when Manslaughter was announced, I threw up my hands and said, come on, Marvel, for goodness sake. But as I said, my position softened. I realize we can't have nice things. So it's better just to keep an open mind and maybe, just maybe, something good might come along. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. So in January 2020, the first issue of Weapon Plus World War IV was released, featuring manslaughter. Was it any good? Let's find out. When we were boys, we used to tell each other scary stories like this one. A father goes to tuck in his son and finds the boy, pale and shivering, and whispering, There's something underneath my bed. The father gets down on the floor and peers beneath the box spring and finds what appears to be another version of his son, pale and shivering and whispering, There's something in my bed. Maybe one is the victim and the other the predator. Or maybe they're both the monster. Weapon Plus, World War IV, number one. Written by Benjamin Percy, art by Ryan Candy, Rochelle Rosenberg colors, inked by Wayne Foucher and Mark Deering, edited by Chris Robinson. We open on Olympic Peninsula, Washington, where a group of soldiers are sent to investigate a mysterious fog that has descended upon the town of Hemlock Haven. It does not go well. We then cut to Russia, where we find our hero, Jackson Strode, being tortured by generic Russian bad guy, till he discovers the general with whom he has been sent to eliminate is just behind the one-way mirror. He then morphs into manslaughter and commences to do exactly what his name suggests. His mission complete, manslaughter returns to his military handlers, where he is given his next mission, to investigate that very same town, Hemlock Haven, on the Olympic Peninsula, and to rescue a scientist, and that scientist is his brother Philip. Dun dun dun! As he travels to Hemlock Haven, a backstory ensues. Jackson Strode, it turns out, was an investigative journalist trying to uncover the truth about a secret project using the research of chemist Ted Salas at a top secret military installation. He's not very good at it though, and is immediately caught. And the military do what they always do they tie him up and experiment on him, eventually turning him into a flora-based super soldier, a tale as old as time. When Jackson arrives in Hemlock Haven, he finds the town overrun and covered in fungus, including the missing soldiers from the beginning who have been turned into fungus zombies. Plant-based fighting ensues. Eventually, Jackson finds his brother, who has been experimenting on militarizing fungus and who has turned himself into the heart of a fungus network which turns everything in the surrounding air into, that's right, fungus. 
I guess he thought there was much room for improvement. Jackson, finding his brother in agony, realizes there is no way to truly save him and decides to end his brother's misery. Afterwards, Jackson meets up with his military handler and, finally reaching his breaking point, kills his handler before rejecting his human side and fully embracing his new existence as manslaughter. So that was not awful. <laughs> How's that for backhanded praise? I mean, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but honestly, it's just, it's fine. It's a little, uh, generic, I guess you'd say. I mean, it's, it's standard super soldier on a mission to infiltrate the enemy lair kind of a story. Um, it's been done many, many, many times over the years. So it's not breaking new ground or anything. Uh, I will say, I did think the scene with the brother was done well. It's not a twist or anything. Uh, it was telegraphed right at the start, but the way Jackson finds his brother in, in obvious agony and uh, and then asks him, "Is there any chance of a cure?" and then we and then it cuts to just a close-up of his brother's eye, terrified, with a single tear running down his cheek, and then Jackson makes a decision to put him out of his misery. That was effective. Uh, it was done well. I mean, again, not a groundbreaking scene or anything like that, but it was executed well. <laughs> no pun intended. So overall, the story is fine. There's nothing special about it. A couple of uh, good moments here and there. But overall, not that spectacular in my mind. But now I have to talk about the character design of Manslaughter. It, um, it is, it's something. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he has huge red bug eyes. Um, it's, it's an interesting choice. Definitely a decision that was made. Uh, but the thing that gets me is the tendrils, you know, the, uh, the, the elephantine protuberances that are so cool on Man-Thing. They're depicted on Man's Slaughter as facial hair. It's like a, a, <laughs> like a stringy Fu Manchu mustache uh, and a little strip of beard. And, and the tendrils fall off his head as if they were dreadlocks. It's just, it's not a good look. And then you couple that with these huge, um, what look to be, I don't know, defensive plating on his chest and abs. And he wears pants with pouches. I mean, really? If this was a parody, I could see this working. But the tone is so serious. It just comes off as silly. I don't know. Maybe this will get developed in time. But right now, he's just sort of a murderous hipster flower. That's the best thing I could say about his design. So now I get to, I guess, the burning question that's on everyone's mind. How does Manslaughter relate to Man-Thing? And the answer is, not very much at all. Other than dropping the name Ted Salas and giving lip service to the serum he was working on, there's no real comparison between the two. I mean, comparing Manslaughter to Man-Thing is like comparing a chicken nugget to a chicken. They're both technically the same thing, but whereas a chicken is a living, breathing, vibrant creature. A chicken nugget is a slurry of chicken-like pieces that vaguely approximates what a chicken should taste like. <laughs> how do you like that metaphor? On the last episode, I talked about how, how empathy is Man-Thing's superpower. His ability to feel the emotions of others compels him to act out of instinct. 
And coupled with that is the fact that he has no ego, he has no rational thought, no way of communicating. These might seem like limitations, but really they're, they're gateways to telling broader, more dynamic, creative stories. That's what makes Gerber's run so iconic and, and so flat-out amazing. He told unusual tales through a monster that feels what others feel. And because of his empathy, he protects the less fortunate. He defends against uh, oppressors and evil. He is a monster who is the guardian of the nexus of all realities, the literal protector of all places and all things in all time. There's so much potential for elaboration. But the default position many writers like to take is to focus on the lumbering brute. He's just slimy muscle. Or they'll do what what R.L. Stein did in his recent run, and that is to just change the premise and give him a voice and give him thought and make him just another guy with a superpower. And that's what Manslaughter does as well. It takes the Man-Thing look, sort of, and just kind of turns him into a swamp-based Punisher. And look, don't get me wrong, I don't want someone to just imitate Gerber. But rather what I'd like to see is someone take the approach that Gerber did, which was to take the really unique and different aspects inherent in the character of Man-Thing and use them to craft compelling and intelligent and nuanced stories with him and around him with a fresh and compelling voice. Uh, For all the jokes we make about Man-Thing, he is truly a unique character, and his characteristics present a difficult challenge for a writer. And sadly, rather than rising to that challenge, most writers choose to disregard those unique characteristics, instead choosing to change Man-Thing into a superficial husk, using him as a bludgeon, or worse, a punchline. So, I guess that's it for this uh, bonus episode. I'll be back with the Daredevil Man-Thing episode in just a few days. If you liked this comic and you disagree with my take, let me know. Leave a comment on the individual episode on the website, nexusofallrealities.com, or tweet at me on the Twitter, at Nexus of All, uh, and let me know. I'd really like to hear what other people have to say about this issue and about the character of Manslaughter. And if you have any ideas for other bonus episodes I can do, let me know that as well. I have a couple on the back burner that I'm kind of gearing up, but if you have any ideas, I'd like to hear it. Uh, So I guess that's it. Thanks everyone for listening, and until we meet again, keep it swampy. You've been listening to The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. The Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elf production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. The show could be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you head on over and leave a review, I'd appreciate it, and I'll be your best friend. You can contact the show via email at nexus at daddyelk.com or online at nexusofallrealities.com and leave a comment on individual episodes. You can also connect with the show on Twitter, at Nexus of All. The Nexus of All Realities is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained?